Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Good morning. My name is Jared Lanza. I'm the lead pastor here at Encounter, and it's my pleasure to just welcome you to, to our church. If this is your first time, I want to say thank you for coming and joining us today. We are right in the middle of a series called Verses, which is facing some of the greatest battles that we face in our personal lives and how we can overcome them and learning how to win the most important fights uh, that we face in our own lives. Well, last week we talked about uh, greed versus generosity, and the main idea was that generosity flows from a grateful heart. Like you, The reason that we struggle with greed and gathering more all the time and wanting more is because we're not grateful for what we have. But to fight greed, we have to be generous. In order to be generous, we have to have a grateful heart. But this week, we're actually going to ta- uh, tackle a topic that is a little bit of a hot button uh, issue. We're talking about lust and love. And you might have seen all week on Facebook and my social media that we have been advertising this as a PG-13 sermon. And the reason for that is because we are going to be talking about some things that are a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit more adult-oriented, sexuality, pornography, lust, um, all sorts of things like that. So I don't think I see so many, any kids in here, but if you are uncomfortable with this, just please be aware this is what's kind of happening. So this week, we went out onto the street and we did some interviews and we asked some individuals what they thought about a couple questions on this idea of, of love and on lust. And, and we, I think the question is, is, well, what's the difference between lust and love? And so here are some of the responses that we found this week. We asked about 15 people uh, just in the, on the streets of Lawrenceville, what do you think the difference is? This is the question. What is the difference between lust and love? And this is what some of the results said. One person said, lust is like the honeymoon phase of the relationship, like the first six months. And love is something that comes later. So for this person, their thought was any relationship contains lust. Okay. The second person or another person said lust is all physical, has no emotions whatsoever to it. And love is all about knowing and affirming. Okay. That's, that's possible. Number three, someone said lust is greedy and love is not. Another person said lust is more sex-related and physical, whereas love is the opposite, where it's more emotional. Another individual said love is where you can care more about the well-being and the happiness of the person, whereas lust, you just care about the body and the physical stuff. And this one I thought was really great. The lust experience is really about consuming, and the love experience is about the deep nurturing encounter. I thought, wow, that was interesting. Like, are they a pastor? Because that was pretty, pretty good. What we find there is that people understand, for the most part, the difference between lust and love. Whether they agree that lust is right or wrong is not the issue that we were asking. We wanted to know if they could even distinguish the difference between the two. And I think they got it right. Lust is definitely this, this sort of carnal pleasure-seeking, physical desire-seeking motive, and love is more based around, you know, the, the heart and emotions and, and caring for another. So then we took it a step further and we asked this question. We said, do you think it's okay to desire the body of someone who is not your spouse or significant other? What do you think the response would be? I kind of kind of thought I knew what, my, what the answer was going to be, but I want to, before I give you the answer to what the results of our survey were on that question, I want you to think about that for a second. 
I want you to challenge even yourself with this. Ask yourself, do you think it is okay to desire the body of someone who is not your significant other or who is not your spouse? Well, the results of this question were that 64% of the people that we asked said yes. It's okay. 64% of the population of the individuals that we interviewed said that they think it's okay to desire the body of someone who they're not with. Like, so if I'm married, it's okay for me to, to desire the body of that individual, to want to be with that person. I, I would ask you then this question is, how would you answer these questions? How would you answer? If I said to you, what's the difference between lust and love? How would you respond? Or maybe even more so, if I asked you, do you think it's okay to desire the body of someone who is not your spouse or who is not your significant other? How would you answer that question? And I think we wrestle with this in our lives. I mean, I think if we were all honest, we would all agree that we struggle. Every one of us has struggled or do struggle at some point with the concept of lust. Of, I mean, we're surrounded by it. Everywhere in our world, we, we can't get away from these you know, images that just inspire desire in, inside of us, right? Especially for guys. And this is not just a message about guys because we'll see in a, in a few minutes here that this is something that females struggle with as well. Like if you are in a relationship and you love your, your significant other, or if you are married, it's, it's virtually impossible to not walk down the street or even to go to the mall and not see someone that you find attractive or have some element that kind of your mind goes to another place where you start imagining an individual in, in a way that is not normal. It's more of a sexual type of a thing. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves that it doesn't matter whether you are single whether you are in a dating relationship or whether you're married, the idea, the concept of lust is something that is never going to go away. It is going to be something that we will fight with and we will struggle with all the time. And so the question, though, is how does it affect our relationships? And that's what I would ask. Those people who say that it's okay for them to desire the body of an individual who's not their significant other, who is not their spouse, well, how does your, how does your significant other or your spouse feel about that? I mean, if I were to ask my wife, if I were to say, let's say just for a second, I'm not one of these people, but let's just say for a second that I said, yeah, I think it's okay for me to desire the body of, of this movie star or that girl across the street or whatever. I think it's okay. What's the harm? If I were to ask my wife, Heather, about it, I don't think she would have the same opinion. I think she would say, uh, no, in fact, you're going to be locked in the house for the rest of your life. I mean, that's pretty much, I think, most of us would agree on that sense. And I don't think it's a male or female thing. I think that if a, if a female answered the question the same way, their husband or their boyfriend would say, no, I am not okay with, with my wife or my girlfriend having a desire for somebody else. So my question to you would be, well, how does lust affect our relationships? And how does it shape our view of other people? And I think we're going to find today that maybe you're in this room right now and you're thinking, what's the big deal? Like, Maybe you, maybe you are somebody who says, I, you know, I watch movies that's got a lot of, you know, sex in it. Or, I, you know, I, I occasionally get on a website and, and look at pornography. Or, you know, I, what's the big deal if I'm looking at that girl? Or what's the big deal if I'm, you know, looking at that guy? Or whatever it is, I think we're going to answer some of those questions about why it's so unhealthy. But we're going to open it up with a story. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to pull them out or turn on your Bible, if you will, if you have a tablet or a, or a smartphone. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 39, and the words are going to be on the screen as well. 
We also, in your program, have the notes, and we print those every week for you. It has the main passage of Scripture. It has our main idea. If you have a pen, I encourage you to take notes, and this is going to be good for you to remember some of these things, and we'll call back to those notes throughout the message. But we're going to talk about a story of a man named Joseph. Joseph was a Jewish man who was, uh, at one point, was a slave in Egypt, and he was put in prison. His, you may have heard Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's this guy. He's the, the guy who had 11 brothers who threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. That's the same Joseph. Well, God blessed Joseph because Joseph had, he was faithful to God and God took care of him. And eventually, Joseph works his way all the way up into the ranks of the government and is given authority over the house of a great uh, individual, a, one of the officials in Egypt. And this is where our story picks up. Genesis 39, verses 6 through 12. And this is what it says. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Interesting that it notices that. So picture any of those guys that sort of have their shirts off and they've got the six-pack and they're rippling there and they've kind of got the little glisten all over their body. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You see pictures like this. That's what they're painting of this picture right here, that Joseph was a very handsome and well-built man. And Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar was the man that Joseph worked for, his wife soon began to look at Joseph lustfully. And so naturally, she says, well, come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. But that wasn't enough. Verse 10, she kept putting pressure on Joseph every day. It says day after day. But he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. And she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Now, I picked this story for a couple of reasons. One, it's a great example of uncontrollable desire. I mean, this is a perfect example of what lust can do in our lives. When you see something, it grabs you, and it will, it will continue to pound at you until you get what you want. It becomes this, this uncontrollable thing. And you, all you do is see red, and you can't, you just think about it, and you have to satisfy it. But the other reason I did this was because oftentimes we think of lustful situations being from a man's perspective. And in this case, we have a woman who is chasing after a man lustfully. It works both ways. And I think oftentimes we think of lust as being something that's a guy issue, that guys deal with, with sexual temptation. But I'll tell you something, women do too. And so there's some things that we have to understand about lust before we can learn how to fight it. And the first thing is this, is that it is triggered by sinful cravings. It's triggered by sinful cravings. So you'd say, well, I'm not lusting right now. Okay, but it hasn't been triggered yet. Well, look at the first thing that it says in verse, in verse 6. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Now, those triggers can be physical triggers. This is often where you think of guys. A lot of times guys are physically, visually minded, right? 
So you go to the grocery store, and while I'm waiting in line to check out for my groceries, I can't help but happen to see all the magazines that are sitting there with ladies in their shirts half unbuttoned, or they're in bikinis, or whatever it might be. Or if you're watching a TV show, or you're watching movies, most often you watch, you know, the, the movies that are the most popular are the ones that have nudity in them. They're the ones that, that generally know that they're going to get a guy's eyes on that screen. If you're a guy in this room, I'm going to tell you, and you know this, that you struggle physically. You see things with your eyes, and it automatically makes you think things that you might not even want to think. That's the trigger, a physical trigger. But it could be the same thing for women. I mean, Potiphar's wife had the same exact scenario. It said that she was, that Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph, and he was a young and well-built man. We were just watching uh, How to Train a Dragon 2 the other night. We went and took our kids to it. And there's this character. It's a funny character, but it's this, this female character who, you know, has these two boys who are sort of oogling over her. And she's not giving them any time of day. And then she comes along and she meets this, this Viking guy. And it zooms into his arm muscles rippling. And she's like, oh. And it's a joke. And it's funny. But it's true is it's not just guys who deal with physical stimuli, who look at, you know, guys or who look at girls and, and, and begin to think and begin to maybe even be turned on by looking at this. That's just a reaction to, to what happens in our lives. So, and it comes from, it's triggered by sinful cravings. I want that. But it's not just physical, it's also circumstantial. We have no idea what was going on with Potiphar's wife. Why did Potiphar's wife want Joseph so badly? Maybe because her husband didn't want her. We don't know if that's the case, but it's possible. Maybe there's men in this room right now who are struggling in their marriages because they feel like they can't, they can't have that moment with their wife. Or maybe the spark in their relationship has, has, has maybe dwindled a bit, and so they look out and they see another woman, and they think, man, I, that girl looks like I would have a great time with her, whether it be in personality, whether it be in, in a sexual way. Like, and it could be the same thing from a, from a female's perspective. You're not feeling like you're getting what you need. Or maybe you're single and you're like, I just want somebody to be with me. I'm lonely. I'm, I, gosh, I'm just, I, I, I've, I'm grown up around all of this sexual appetites everywhere and I have no release for it. Like, your circumstances can also drive you and be triggers for, for, your, for a sexual sinful cravings and for lust. So first we have to understand that it's triggered by things. The second thing that it does is it creates a desire for what doesn't belong to us. I mean, this is the reality. This is the reality of lust. It's one thing to understand normal impulses. It's another thing to understand what it's doing to you. Is that it's creating a desire for something that doesn't belong to you. Whether that be someone's body. Whether that be physical pleasure. I mean, these are things that don't belong to me. If I, if I lust after a woman, she is not mine to have. She's not mine, and that man is not yours to have. That pleasure that you could have with an individual or by looking at that person is not yours, and it devalues that person. We crave things that we want to be desired from someone else who's not yours to be desired from. And this is where it gets sticky, guys. This is where it gets tough. And so just follow along with me. This is not Jared like beating you down, but it's critical that we understand this. Some examples of how this shows up in our lives. The first is pornography. Perfect example of it. And this is, again, a man and a woman issue. Pornography is something that we look at an individual's body in a way 
to where I crave something that is not mine to have. That woman's body, that man's body, that act that they're going through is not mine to have. If it was, that person would be my wife. That would be my husband. You understand that? It's like pornography is, is, is acting out in a fantasy something that's not yours to have. Magazines are another example of it. And I'm not harping on all magazines and not even this one specifically, but for example, Cosmo magazine. Cosmo or any of those myriad of magazines out there that, are, that, that their headlines are how to have the most stimulating hot sex or how to have Memorial Day. It's crazy. It's like they'll have holiday versions of it and, and it doesn't matter. And it's not to say that like if for, for a married couple to pick up that magazine and want to maybe learn about some of the things in there to help each other in their relationship, that's great. But that's not what it's doing. In reality, the most of the time, what it does is it, it, it teaches people that they have to like, do these things in order to be satisfied in life. Another example of it is casual sex. I mean, this is rampant in our society. Casual sex is this concept of that, well, it's just normal. Having sex with anybody is just, it's okay. Like, it doesn't matter for both consenting adults. But the reality is, is that person that you're having sex with is not yours. And one day that person is going to be married to another person. That's who they belong to, not you. So when you have casual sex, you are placing, you are placing your value of what you want, the relationship of, of pleasing yourself over anyone else and any damage you could possibly do to anybody else or even in your own body. But it's not just casual. It could even be in, com- in, in committed relationships. There's something called sexual or selfish sex. Guys, I'm telling you, it's getting hot in here. <laughs> but look, Selfish sex. This is, this is for married couples. It could be even for unmarried couples who, who maybe aren't in a place yet where they, they understand that marriages or that sexuality is supposed to be within the bounds of marriage. You can be in a marriage relationship or in a committed relationship and have someone have sex with somebody and still be lusting with that person because you are thinking about the only way that when I'm having sex with an individual is to get pleasure for myself in it. And that is not what sexuality, that is not what sexual intimacy was based on. It was not so you can get yours. The idea behind sexuality was to create an intimate relationship with another person. Was to be able to share at the depths of your levels of your relationship and your love for each other. And there are times where, where a man or a woman will, will, will want to do sex in a certain way that is, that is based around their feeling. I mean, the whole concept, not, not like on a fullest level, but like the, the biggest idea of men wanting to do sex in so many different types of positions comes from the concept of them wanting to get the most pleasure out of it and feeling as though they are having the, uh, the optimal experience possible. And a lot of that comes from pornography. I mean, think about that. The concept of pornography generally is to get pleasure for the individual who is seeking it, who is watching this thing. And it teaches that individual now to take that into the bedroom with their spouse and then act out that fantasy that they saw there. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have sexual positions and things because that's great as long as the both of you want to. So when I'm talking about this concept of selfish sex, the idea behind it is that you are having sex with your partner because you want to be intimate with them, not because you want to get yours out of it. You understand And this is the concept of lust being lived in our lives. If you're having sexual relations with your spouse and all you're thinking about is is how you can please yourself in that moment or the next step, which is fantasizing about someone else, you are lusting. Sexuality is meant to be about the two of you being intimate with each other and pleasing each other. 
It's not meant to be about, about, the, about fantasizing about that person that I saw in the mall today or those types of things. These are all examples of how it lives out. And here's the reality of it, guys, that lust turns people into objects. Objects to be used with the purpose of personal pleasure. It makes people a toy. That's what lust does. It turns people into toys. And lust equals selfish. So let's put that up on the screen. If, it, if we could say, what does it equal? Lust equals selfish. It's all about me. And that's when I go back to that very, very last quote that we read. It said, the lust experience is really about consuming. And the love experience is about deep nurturing encounter. A couple other things that we need to understand about lust real quickly is that it increases pressure and ultimately will consume you. It will not stop. We saw that with Potiphar's wife. I mean, Potiphar's wife was not going to stop. Three separate times, will you sleep with me? Like she was relentless. If any of you have ever struggled with anything like pornography or even sexuality outside of marriage or those types of things, you'll know what I'm talking about. This impulse, this drive until you satisfy that thing, it will pound at your head. You will think about it over and over again. And the last thing is that it paves unhealthy patterns of behavior and thought. Things like addiction. Things like insecurity. Isolation. And it distorts your entire way of thinking. Lust will will reshape everything about you. It will reshape the way you look at your wife. It reshapes the way you look at other people. You'll find yourself not just looking at women's eyes, guys. You'll find yourselves looking up and down at a woman everywhere you go. Because you've given into it so much. You're training your body. You're training your mind. Women, on the flip side of that, you're looking at men so often, you don't even look at your own husbands anymore, your own boyfriends. Like, it trains your mind. It distorts reality. Pornography distorts what reality is like. This is not what life is like. All the things that you see, TV shows, movies, the other relationships that you see out, in, out and about on Instagram, the husband and wife, you know, at, at the beach and they're looking all lovey-dovey. Like, that's not reality. That's one day of the 365 out of the year. And we shape our world. We shape our view, our minds, everything we do off of this concept of what we visually see or those circumstances when the reality is I need to love this person right next to me. And like all things sinful, it feels good in the moment. I will give you that but always leaves us empty and damaged inside. And there is a better way, and that is the way of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. In short, love equals selfless. So if lust equals selfish, love equals selfless. I mean, it's such a stark picture. I mean, everything that we just talked about, about lust and how it's an object and how it objectifies people and, and it places your pleasure over their value and all those things, and then you read about love. And you almost feel ashamed of yourself for how you think about people and how you treat people in those moments. We have got to change the way we see other people before we can change our behaviors. And we have to be willing to love other people more than ourselves. And so that's our main idea of the day is this, is that to battle lust 
We must fight with love. I encourage you to take out your program. Take out the note page and fill that out. Write this down. To battle lust, we must fight with love. But how do I do that? How do I truly do that? I mean, I understand the concept. I agree. I believe that I I need to not think that way and I need to act differently in my lifestyle. But how do I do that? I live in a world full of of, of lust that's just pushing me around and trying to, that's always shaping me and pushing me into this image of what I should be like and what my life should look like and what, how I should view other people. Well, here are some steps, four steps on how to fight lust with love. Number one is we need to understand our value. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, it talks about how God created human beings. It said, let us create man in our own image. And so then it says that he created them man and woman, male and female. So each one of us, whether you're male or whether you're female, is created in the image of God. That means that you have inherent value because being a male or being a female is part of the image of God. It means you're valuable. It means that every single person that you look at is just as valuable as you are. Every one of us. So that woman who's displaying her body on a magazine cover, or that woman who is in the, you know, uh, in movies, or that man who is dressing up or taking his clothes off and, and, and showing his body on, you know, TV or in calendars or whatever those spaces might be, that man or woman has just as much value as you do, just as much value as your son or as your daughter. And just as much as you wouldn't want to see your family members or your son or your daughter on those images or or being objectified or viewed that way, when you are challenged with those moments, remember that each of you has that value. And this came, there's a quote that came from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible when we were reading about sexuality. It says, sexuality is is a precious aspect of what a person is not merely a description about what he or she does. Sexuality comes from our image. We are male and female, and that's part of it. It was each of us together reflects the whole of who God is. Each of us is a part of it. But it's not about what we do that makes us sexual. It is because of who we are and because how God made us to be. We have to understand our value before we can fight lust with love. Number two is we have to realize that our sexual desire and our drive is normal. It's totally normal. And you might not think that the Bible talks a lot about sexuality, especially in a positive way, but it actually really does. If you want, just take out some pieces of paper because I'm I'm not going to read the scriptures, but I want to give you the references so you can look them up on your own later. Proverbs 5.18 and Ecclesiastes 9.9. And also, the whole book of Song of Songs is all about how good sex is. It's about how, like, and it, but I will tell you that it's always within the confines of a marriage relationship. It's very interesting. You would say, well, why, how do you know, how do you know that, that, that God designed sexuality to be within a marriage relationship? Well, it's because every single version that ever talks about sexuality in its right way is always talking about a man and a woman. It's always talking about in a marriage relationship. 
But in these scenarios, it's like, enjoy the wife of your youth. It's talking about how it's great for a man or for a woman to enjoy their time together, that God blesses you with and to spend time pleasing each other. The entire book of Song of Songs, which while it is an allegory for the church and how God loves Israel and God loves his church, and, and that it's also a love story that's a pretty pretty hot love story. If you've ever read the Song of Songs, it's talking about body parts. It's talking about, you know, all sorts of times away, alone. It's pretty sultry. You should check it out. But it, it's, it, what it does is it points out this idea, though, that, that our drive for sexual desire and our drive for that is normal. It's okay for you to be in this room right now and, be, and to, to want to have sexual relations. Like, it's normal. It's okay. Don't beat yourself up over it. Don't be angry at yourself when you, when you struggle with that or when you feel like you want that. And even it gives him further to say in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 and 4, Paul actually commands husbands and wives to have sex with each other. It actually says that a husband and a wife should fulfill each other's sexual needs. That doesn't sound like a God who's hammering on how sex is a bad thing. The reality of the situation is, though, is that it was designed to be channeled into and enjoyed in a marriage relationship. But the problem is, is that outside of that relationship— it gets abused and it gets destroyed. That's what happens around our world. We look at it. Sexuality gets abused and it, and, it, and it destroys the whole function of what it's even for. And that's why ideas like casual sex and pornography and all those things that I'm not trying to harp on them, but that's why they're pictures of the concept that God created for something to be amazing and beautiful It's taken out of context and it destroys lives. It creates addictions, distorts the way you think about other people and it turns people into objects. So to fight lust with love, we have to understand every one of us has immense value. We have to realize that our sexual desire and our drive is normal. But then practically, here's some practical things. Number three, we need to seek relationship over pleasure. Seek relationship over pleasure. In Genesis chapter 2, When God goes and tells the story about how he created woman for the very first time, for women, it says that he saw that Adam was alone and said, this is not good for man to be alone. How many of you guys know it's not good for you to be alone? I know that it's not good for me to be alone. And it says, I will create a partner, a companion, a friend for him. So he created a woman. And from from that time on, man and women have lived together. And the whole point of it was so that he could have a relationship. He could have a companion. He could have someone to live his life with. Someone that would understand him, but who also could compliment him from different aspects that he lacks in his own nature. Because, like we said earlier, that God created both man and woman. And they're both made in his image, but from different perspectives. So for a man to be living alone means he's only living half of the equation and can only connect to God in, the, in half of the way. And vice versa, the same thing with the female's perspective. So in order to to be able to seek relationship over pleasure, that's how God's design was. God said, I'm going to create an individual for you to be able to live life with. So when you find yourself in a place where you're lusting over something or someone or you're struggling with that concept of desiring something that's not yours, you might need to think about, maybe I'm putting more emphasis on the pleasure and the desire than I am on the relationships that I'm in. You need to seek relationships. If I find that I'm struggling in my relationship with my wife where I'm, where I'm being drawn to images on the TV or at magazines at the store or whatever, I have to check myself and go to a place where I say, you know what, I think 
I probably am in a place where my wife and I are not connecting as well as we need to in our relationship. I need to seek that relationship over it. If my wife and I are not, are not having you know, regular intimate sexual time with each other, we're not pleasing each other, there's probably an issue in our relationship. It's the same thing in your relationship. If you find that you're dry in your relationship, it's probably because there's a problem between the two of you. And oftentimes we want to blame it on our sexuality. We want to say, well, my needs just aren't being met. Well, your needs probably aren't being met because the spouse doesn't feel connected to you or vice versa. And so we need to seek relationship over the pleasure. And I promise you that the pleasure will come in due time. And number four, we need to be committed to sexual purity. 1 Corinthians 6.18 actually says, run away. He uses this like big bold words like with exclamation points. It says, run away from sexual sin. And it says, because all other sins are done outside of your body, but sexual sins are done against your own body. There is no way for you to get away from from the damage to your own body, spiritually and even possibly physically and emotionally, mentally, when you are having sex with somebody who is not your wife or not your husband. When you are lusting, you are damaging yourself primarily before you do anything else. And so it's saying to run away from it, just like Joseph did. Joseph did that. First it said he refused Potiphar's wife. Then it says that he refused her again and, and, and was trying to stay around other people. It said, you know, he was just trying to avoid her and stay around all the other people. So he was making good choices. And then the last one, when she cornered him, there was no one around. What did he do? She had him by the cloak, like had him, like pinned up against the wall. And he ran away out of that situation. You have to be committed to it. To be, to be pure and to run away from it. To fight lust, you have to fight with love. So here's the challenge for today. And I, pick, I pulled from Ice Cube. And it is check yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. What is it in your mind right now? What is it in your life right now? Maybe somebody in this room is struggling with pornography. Maybe there's a wife or a spouse or in this, in this room right now who is in a place where you're feeling lonely or you're feeling like you are not connected or you're feeling you're not getting your needs met. Maybe you're a single individual in this room and you are lonely and you're feeling hungry for, 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 for belonging, for a companion, for someone to love you, to have that person to share this with. What are you doing? What habits are in your life right now? Are they healthy? I want you to search yourself. Search yourself for what is it that is, that is in your heart that maybe is leading you to unhealthy behaviors. And then once you realize that, I want you to confess those unhealthy behaviors and those habits. What are the things that you have been doing? Maybe this message has challenged you today and you're in a place and you say, wow, this really hit me. And I know that this thing is a lustful activity that is, that is causing me problems. It's separating me from my spouse or my significant other. It's separating me between my relationship with God. Because let's be real, guys, lust is a sinful thing. So if you are willingly doing something like that, it's separating you from your relationship with God. So confess that. The Bible tells us to confess our sin. And it's not in like a guilty, like, oh, God's like, like trying to punish you. He wants to forgive you, but you can't be forgiven of something you are not willing to give up. So search yourself and confess your lust and your unhealthy behaviors. 
And then the next thing you need to do is you need to think about some boundaries. Create some boundaries for your relationships. I have seen marriages fall apart. I have seen relationships fall apart. I have even seen single people go through problems that are not even with an individual. They're creating problems and roadblocks in their own lives to relationships because they have unhealthy relationships and unhealthy boundaries. You have to create boundaries in your life. If you know you struggle with something, you've got to create a line before you get to that space. If there is a cliff that you're about to walk over, I would behoove you not to build the fence right at the edge of the cliff. I would tell you to build the fence back a little bit. Create boundaries, and I don't know what they are for you. For me, my boundaries include things like when Heather goes to bed at night, she takes my phone, the laptop, and the iPad upstairs because I have no opportunity to be able to look at something that I shouldn't be looking at. And that's just, that's just me setting up a boundary for myself. I mean, there are, there are a myriad of other things that you could do, and we could talk offline about them if you're actually struggling with something specific, and I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But it's important for you to recognize where you are and then set boundaries for yourself. And then the last thing is to create a plan for healthy habits and even to get help if you need it. And that could be a variety of things. I'm not saying like you're sitting here this morning and you're in a place where you're like, my marriage is about to fall apart and I'm addicted to pornography. What I am saying to you is if you, if you realize that your relationship with your wife or your spouse or your significant other is, is struggling right now, and there's maybe an issue of, of, of we're not connecting because I think I'm struggling with, with, with how I feel about my relationship or how I feel about the other person, come talk to me. I will be willing to help you but you've got to talk to each other. You have to be honest with each other. But first you have to be honest with God. Come on. Thanks for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.